Welcome to School, a podcast featuring conversations on learning with my mom and my hajibasi. Please subscribe. Today, my mom speaks with Nick Grenier, founder of Natural Leaders. They discuss the importance of spending time in nature, how to minimize risks, and resources to inspire a love for the great outdoors. Links to all resources will be available in the show notes and on the website schoolconversations.com. Thanks so much for joining me to discuss outdoor education and the importance of time in nature. You started a program called Natural Leaders with several locations in the greater D.C. area. Can you tell me about Natural Leaders, what it is exactly, and what was the motivation for you to begin this program? Yeah, sure. Thank you, and uh, thank you for having me on. You know, I've had a lifelong passion for nature. I actually was born in Manhattan in New York City. My parents were not super outdoorsy. They were, you know, somewhat. They would take me out into the country. Um, we would go on hikes. We'd go to the beach. We had friends. We would go in, uh, out into more rural areas, and I would get to go fishing sometimes during the summer or catching frogs. So things like that were always the highlight of my childhood. And I also, from kindergarten through second grade, I went to a Waldorf school. And so the Waldorf education also was very um, supportive of having developing a relationship with the natural world in a very sort of, you know, personal, authentic way that one can kind of trace back to, you know, the ancient European roots and to sort of indigenous cultures around the world. So it's really a more experiential connection to nature versus the sort of, you know, scientific approach that our culture tends to promote, which has its power and its value. And I have, I myself am trained as depersonalized attitude towards the natural world which is very different from kind of a pre-scientific or a cultural relationship to the natural world. And so I guess in our programs, we allow kids to kind of experience nature on their own terms. A lot of our curriculum is kind of rooted in a sort of indigenous native attitudes and approaches to experiencing nature and encountering the natural world. And it comes very naturally and intuitive, you know, to kids. And really, you know, it's just you know, going out there and, and catching things and, and making stuff out of nature. So you develop a relationship with the world directly over time. And it's a beautiful and wonderful thing for kids to, to have. Tell me a little bit more about what exactly the kids do in your programs, looking at your website and also having a son participate briefly in one of your programs. I know there are a lot of specific activities that you have. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So we have our summer program and we have our homeschool program. Uh, during the summer program, kids show up. It's usually from nine to four for uh, you know Monday to Friday. And the instructors will lead a morning game. So everyone gets to play together in the morning. And then they might do some journaling. 
we will often have like information sheets that they can use to learn about something then or they might do like a leaf rubbing or the instructor might you know teach them about something or, or it might be drawing a picture of something that they've done at the at the program then the group will go off to some destination and it might be somewhere in the forest uh, maybe to work on a shelter it could be um, to the creek to go fishing but they'll move somewhere usually to work on some kind of skill so there's core wilderness survival kind of competencies like how to make a fire that'll light with just a match how to make uh, a shelter that can keep you dry that can keep you warm so if you get lost in the woods you can take care of yourself they might work on primitive pottery or doing some kind of a, a whittling practice with a knife so that's kind of the focused skill building aspect of the program and for the most part you know kids uh have the attention and enthusiasm to do that for uh, some amount of time but then eventually they're ready to move on and so there's kind of an organic transition to a more um, self-directed activity and so the kids might just go and, and they're playing in the creek right and they might be catching crayfish or um, making something with mud or making a dam with rocks uh, so that's really good time for the kind of imaginary play just you know kids being out in nature having their own experience uh, we might come together for uh, some storytelling uh, we may play an afternoon game that could be capture the flag or something uh, similar it might be a, a sitting down game like mafia there's a lot of different games that the kids can play where they're able to interact and get to know each other better and, and build friendship and then yeah we'll that's you know there's a lunch somewhere in there and then we'll make our way back uh, and have our closing circle at the end of the day so that's kind of a, a typical summer format now during our academic year our students meet once a week from september to may or june typically and here we have the students we delegate the different leadership roles to the students so we'll have a student storyteller we'll have a student that presents on a, a nature topic to the group we'll have a student that leads the games we have a student photographer that takes pictures we have a student adventure reporter that writes a report at the end of the day that we'll send out to the parents we have a student navigator who has a map and compass and, and will lead the group and so in all of in every case you know the the students are coming to to the program with some kind of responsibility where they're actually helping to create the program and experience for themselves and for everybody else so it's kind of an apprenticeship but it's also a little bit of a game if you watch how you know kids play naturally it's very normal for them to take on different roles right think about your kids like playing house I'm, I'm the mom you know you're the dad you're the baby right or it's from some 
cartoon or from a book, they'll assume different roles. Or it could be, I'm going to be the doctor, I'm going to be the firefighter. So it's natural for kids to play different roles. And here we're tapping into that, giving them these roles, and then allowing them to embody those roles in a very authentic way. When I read on your website, the assigning of roles to the children, I really liked that. And my son actually also, it was one of the aspects that was really appealing to him as well, because, you know, having a specific responsibility and a specific role within a group was something that he was really looking forward to and really excited about. It made the experience seem like more of an adventure. And then the storyteller piece and really, you know, enables students to gain skills and learn about true leadership and existing within a group in a very organic way that I thought was really, really lovely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was an instructor before, you know, for four years, I did all of those different roles myself. And so I found after like three, four years that I was super confident in doing all these different things, but I didn't see as much growth in the students, even long-term students, because they had never really had that responsibility to have to do those things. And so that was part of, you know, my vision, you know, an insight was, well, if I have them actually teaching and, you know, storytelling and, you know, doing all these things, then they can also gradually get better. And the students, they cycle through the, you know, doing the different roles and we'll have, you know, kids that will start the program sometimes at seven years old and, potentially go into their teens, you know, all the way through high school. Right. I've been reading a lot about outdoor education and its benefits, and I came across the term nature deficit disorder. It's a term coined by author and outdoor education advocate, Richard Liu, who I'm sure you're familiar with. He uses this term to describe certain problems we see in our kids today many of which he and others argue are directly related to our being so out of touch with nature. I'll link to his books in the show notes. Uh, I'll also link to some really impressive research citing the benefits of being outdoors, everything from how vitamin D influences sleep patterns, which in turn affect brain health and learning, to a 2009 study from the University of Illinois that showed students diagnosed with ADHD improved focus after only 20 minutes of walking in nature. Another study out of Norway found that as the number of hours spent outdoors increased, hyperactivity and difficulty focusing decreased. Really solid research. You know, so many young children today are put on medications that are not free of risks and side effects, when at least a subset of these children may just be deficient in what Richard Louvre calls vitamin N as in nature. Now, of course, I, I don't mean to dismiss or minimize the very complex nature of these challenges. ADHD and other conditions are multifactorial and are influenced by many factors, including sleep, activity level, diet, certainly, and many others. It's not really within the scope of our discussion here today to get into all that. But have you seen examples of children were able to overcome challenges by simply spending more time in nature. Yeah, I mean the biggest kind of refrain that we hear from from parents is confidence. 
you know, that kids become more confident. And uh, I guess the on the other side of that is anxiety, right? And we hear today about, you know, anxiety and other mental illness, you know, depression becoming a growing kind of epidemic among our youth today in high school, in college. Um, during the pandemic, you know, I was hearing about, you know, kids under 10 that were struggling with depression and uh, some kids I had, you know, kids under 10 join our program and it made a huge difference for them with those kinds of struggles. Uh, I've seen kids enter the program with very visible negative, you know, anxiety and negative self-talk. And after a year or two, you know, become, you know, very confident and normal and they can interact. I think there's a lot of aspects of our development that is kind of optimized by nature. Another disorder that, you know, now is kind of the social play, right? Because a lot of kids, you know, when I was growing up in the 90s, I would go outside and, you know, I might wander half a mile or a mile from home, no cell phone or anything. I would do, you know, games like um, hockey in the streets on rollerblades with other kids from school. Um, and so you had kind of natural just kids playing outside together without supervision, right? Or minimal supervision, if any. Um, and also it would be like me and my friend going to the creek, right? And we would be there all the time at Rock Creek, which is a pretty big creek in uh, Kensington, Bethesda area in Maryland. And if you think about, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, uh, mankind for however long humans have been around, how much of that time was normal development for kids playing outside with other kids. There's really basic things. Like I've seen kids show up at my program 11, probably 10, 11 years old, <clears throat> and they can't even throw a rock like normally. Um, they can't do a normal overhand throw, and I, I had to coach them on how to do that. So like very basic things like how to run, how to throw, how to climb a tree. A lot of these things we as adults who grew up relatively normally, we take for granted. Like, oh, that's just what we obtained growing up. Well, that's what we obtained growing up because we had a relatively normal by, you know, in terms of the broader history of mankind upbringing and we could do all of those things just through play and that's how it developed now if you have kids that are just sitting inside because parents are afraid to let them out or there is no yard or whatever it is there's so many different fears and situational variables that are keeping kids from just going outside to play that these very basic things are not happening unless, you know, we take action to make it happen. But now it requires us as parents to understand like, oh, my kids are not getting their basic development. They're not playing with other kids every day outside, you know, or if, you know, our program is once a week for five hours. So that's a pretty large block of time. And, you know, for my own kids that have homeschooled their whole life, that's been the staple 
and I think it's it's been effective for them in allowing them to develop friendships, to have a community, and you know they're twelve and fourteen now, and they still look forward to it like every week, seeing their friends and and, and doing the program. I was recently reading about earthing, also referred to as grounding which is when our bare skin connects to the ground and there is this transfer of free electrons from the earth through the skin that acts as a powerful antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. Also, some neuroscientists are focusing on the effects of the earth's frequency on the brain. The earth's frequency apparently has its own name. I have it here in my notes. It's called the Schumann Resonance. It's named after the physicist Winfred Otto Schumann, who discovered this resonance in the 1950s. NASA actually refers to this frequency as the planet's atmospheric heartbeat. There's a lot of excitement about the potential of this frequency being beneficial for the brain and even having therapeutic qualities. It's so fascinating, but these discussions still very much remain on the fringes and the data isn't necessarily trickling down to influence schools and curricula. Most schools offer maybe 30 minutes a day of outside time, although the pandemic may potentially change that. Do you think as we learn more about the quantifiable benefits of being outdoors, schools will begin to embrace outdoor education more? I think that would be wonderful. I can't say that personally, I'm very optimistic about that. I mean, that, there's a reason I homeschool my kids and I've put so much energy into developing a homeschool program. So the Natural Leaders Program is really geared towards homeschooling. Uh, I think it's difficult for a lot of schools to do. I'd love to be wrong about this. I'd love for schools to figure out ways to get the kids outside more my recommendation to parents is not to, you know, wait for schools. I mean, join the school board, get involved and advocate for it and, and talk to your friends. And if you can make it work, you know, then that would be great. Um, a lot of the time, the logistics are pretty, I think, challenging for that, depending on the school. But yeah, I think it would be a great thing, especially for younger schools. I think, you know, out of Finland, and, and in Europe, there's been a lot, it's a lot more developed to have more nature-based schooling for, especially for the younger kids, pre-K, kindergarten, you know, the forest schools. There's a lot of regulatory challenges to doing that stuff in many, in most states in America, unfortunately. So I would say that would be great. I think the data is there, the evidence is there, but I would really suggest parents, you know, take responsibility for that, take ownership of that and find ways to make it a part of your child's uh, upbringing. Those hours after school are, are homeschooling and, a, and every parent is, a, if not a full-time homeschool parent, is a homeschool parent at the very least from three to eight. So I appreciate that sentiment. I want to move on to the risks involved with outdoor education. One of the risks I actually learned about from your website was the risk of a broken tree branch falling on you. I think, I think it's called a widow maker. And there are other risks, poison ivy, snakes, heat stroke, 
ticks, wasps or bee stings, there's a lot to potentially be worried about. So how can we prepare our kids for all the risks they may face in nature without scaring them away? At Wrexham Outdoor Education Advocates express frustration at how some of these risks are rare and often overblown. So I do want to acknowledge that, but help me, help me navigate this. Yeah. Well, I would say in my experience, it's not usually, the issue is not usually about the kids being scared. It's about the parents being scared, right? So I think the real question is how do we get parents to have the confidence to let their kids play outside? Right, right. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't necessarily have, you know, a very easy answer for that. I think a lot of it has to do, you know, on the parent and their level of knowledge and comfort in nature. So the problem is for a lot of parents that maybe didn't grow up around here, a lot of the hazards are very localized, right? So if you grew up like in India, maybe you had cobras in your backyard, right? And one cobra bite and you're dead and you've come here and you don't know what kind of snakes are around here. And so, but you just have that fear from your childhood, right? You know, but the other thing can also be true is where people don't recognize the danger that is on the landscape. So I've, you know, I have Russian heritage. I was at the beach with some Russian friends and there's a lot of mosquitoes. So they grabbed a branch to swat away the mosquitoes and it was a poison ivy branch with the leaves on it. <laughs> You know, once you study those things, if you grew up in the area, you know all these things, then they're no longer something you're too worried about, right? Like I go in the woods, I instantly, I recognize the poison ivy. I can go walk right around it. I can walk right next to it, but avoid it, right? Easily. So I'm not worried about it. Every other plant that's not poison ivy, I'm not scared of that plant. But if you know that there's poison ivy in the woods, and you don't know which plant it is, then you're going to be afraid of a lot of plants. You know, I took a girl berry picking and her mom was like, don't touch that, don't touch that. And she got really scared because the leaves on the raspberry look similar, kind of, to poison ivy to someone who's not very knowledgeable. And so this is where, you know, it goes back to what I was saying about anxiety uh, versus confidence. So our kind of instinctive response to any new environment is characterized by some level of anxiety because we don't know yet where the threat is. And so when you go into nature, if you have all these uncertainties, then you have a lot of anxiety. And if you're a parent, you're afraid to let your kid play there. Or when you take your kid there, you're always going to be yelling at your kid because you're getting scared. And so one of the things that our programs, having the trained instructor that knows those threats, we're able to let the kids play a lot more freely because we're better able to assess kind of the, the danger level and what really is a danger and then how to have them just avoid that thing. Like, okay, don't touch the poison ivy right here. But the rest of the time, you know, we can just be calm and at ease while they're playing here because we know that there's not poison ivy right 
the Widowmakers, we can avoid the area where there's a standing dead tree, you know, or, you know, depending on the weather and so forth. So it allows the kids to go out there and have fun and develop that confidence. So then as a parent, it's really about you, you know, either entrusting your child to somebody who can facilitate that for them. It's like a guide, right? Like if I went to, you know, India or China or South America, I would want to have a guide from that area take me into the woods because I don't know. <laughs> That's a totally new environment for me, right? And all of my knowledge here, a lot of it, some of it will transfer, but I'm not going to know like what plants and insects and animals to avoid, right? So I'm going to need that local guide and I'm going to try to learn from them. So I would say seek out an expert. So if you as a parent uh, go and talk to maybe a local park ranger, maybe you can find some Facebook groups for your specific area and ask people that are outdoors people from your area, like what snakes do I need to learn about in this area that are dangerous? So that'll be very useful to know. And you can ask like, what, what are the diseases that we have around here? So the, one of the you know, biggest things that, you know, I'm concerned about in our region is, is Lyme disease and the ticks, you know, and that is also going to vary depend, like even here in the DC area, different parks have different ticks. Some parks don't have a lot of ticks at all. Another park, we might only run into dog ticks. So getting to know each little park and what's there is really important. And then, you know, we used to go out, to, well, there's a place in West Virginia we like to go about three and a half hours away. And this year, for the first time, we started finding deer ticks there. So we first started going there like 10 years ago. And you can actually look on a map and see how Lyme disease has been expanding uh, from Lyme, Connecticut, uh, and the frontier of the expansion of Lyme disease is kind of like halfway through West Virginia. So then I called the, the vet, a vet clinic at, at a town near there, and I asked the vet, like, do you get reports of Lyme disease um, from people's pets or from people? And they told me that just in the last two years, it started to become somewhat common there. And so that was unfortunate, but it was good to, you know, get that intelligence from a local source. So a lot of things are very, very localized. I want to move on to books. I have a long list of books I want to read on this topic of outdoor education and nature immersion. I'll go ahead and link to some of these books on the website. What books would you recommend to parents or educators wanting inspiration to get their kids outside or to learn more about this general topic? Yeah, that's a good question. There's the Wilderness Awareness School, and that's uh, wildernessawareness.org. Tom Brown Jr., he is a survivalist that created the Tracker School. He's written a bunch of books. He has field guides. He also has more kind of autobiographical books uh, like The Tracker. 
uh, talking about his adventures growing up in the wilderness. So those were, I guess, two good places to get started. I guess for kids as well, you have Hatchet, My Side of the Mountain, uh, The Trumpet of the Swan, to some extent. Those are all, you know, good books that I would recommend for kids probably aged 10, maybe 10 to 13 years old. Yeah, I'm on the second of the My Side of the Mountain series. We're doing the read out loud. They're really loving it. There's this notion, you know, in their heads now that it's so idyllic to live off the land. I think Sam is the character's name. He just lives off the land and, you know, he makes pancakes with acorn flour. I mean, they're just, they're loving it. It's so adventurous for them to think about the possibility of, of doing that and living off the land. So that's, yeah, I wouldn't have thought to recommend that, but you're right. That's a really great one to read, to be inspired, to get out there. The other thing, you know, for me and like my kids is, you know, I've raised them without screen time, essentially, very limited. They watch like the occasional, you know, cartoon or, or movie, but it's like a special thing. It's like dessert, you know, it's not like a staple of their childhood. It's exception. Now that my, you know, my daughter is 14 now. I've allowed her to use a laptop productively, productive play. So she's been creating websites and there's books that she's writing. I'm not against technology per se, but you can use the computer as like a consumer or as a, a creator. And as a consumer of like social media or, you know, YouTube or TV, it can become just an addiction and, and very passive. Uh, whereas using it as a producer, you're actually creating something, you're developing a skill. So I've tried to really have my kids have a, a productive, like creative use of technology, but not have a phone, really trying to protect them from becoming dependent psychologically and emotionally on technology. That's really facilitated them you know, playing together and have, engaging in like normal, healthy fantasy play, developing those social skills, their imagination. And so that's, you know, I think another thing to really be mindful of. And with kids that have already become very addicted, you know, to technology, I think parents should I would recommend you know, some kind of create some kind of plan to intervene and shift away from that. Like, what can you create? Maybe send them to an outdoor camp, maybe a sleepaway camp for like a week or two uh, where they're engaging in skills that they already have some interest in, but something they can develop and get into. And then when they come back, like maybe they got into rock climbing or horseback riding or fencing or drama you know, whatever it is, that is something where they're actually developing themselves, they're challenging, they're interacting with the real world, and then really water that tree so they can develop that. And they're not just, because the flip side of it, if you don't let your kid outside and you're not actively promoting other things, then they're just going to kind of take the path of least resistance to like, this is the interesting thing that I can do at home. That's easy. Right. So it's going to take some effort to kind of break those habits and develop 
something new and inspire them and create help them find community in that new area. Yeah, you you called it an addiction. It very much is an addictive thing. But I think we we downplay how addictive it is as a society for kids and their developing brains. So we've established how important it is to get kids out in nature for their physical and emotional health. But it's July here in Virginia, as you know, and no one really wants to be outside. It's hot, it's humid, it's not very comfortable on most days. So for those of us who can't access a beach or the mountains as often as we'd like, how can we incorporate regular nature time during these extended periods of uncomfortable weather? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, the first thing I'll say is, um, let me talk about mosquitoes. Because if you live in the D.C. area, chances are when you go outside, if you have a backyard, for example, you're going to be devoured by mosquitoes right away. And that didn't used to be the case when I was growing up here in the early to mid-90s. And then in the late 90s, the tiger mosquito was brought here probably by accident uh, from Asia and became established. And these mosquitoes, they thrive uh, around your house. So they breed in like soda cans or tires, like any little bit of water, they'll multiply rapidly in that water. And they tend to be pretty densely populated like around people's houses. And so I experienced this when I was doing landscaping as a young adult how at a certain point it became you know very unpleasant because of those mosquitoes the good news is these tiger mosquitoes while they're all around your house they're not out in the woods most of the time the the tiger mosquitoes don't compete with the native mosquitoes so that's their kind of ecological niche is like the urban environment it's kind of like house sparrows and house mice you're going to find them around your house you're going to find them in the city but not as much like out in the woods. Same thing with the mosquitoes. So if you go out camping, like when we go camping in West Virginia, no tiger mosquitoes. And I didn't use bug spray at all camping out there. It's not always the case. Like if you're in a very swampy area, the native mosquitoes may be an issue there. Uh, usually the native mosquitoes, it'll be like certain times of day like morning or evening or just before a storm when they get bad, whereas the tiger mosquitoes are kind of out all the time. So uh, don't be afraid to use bug spray. And on our tick page, so it's naturalleaders.com slash ticks, you can read up on, on some of the things we recommend. The one I like is picaridin, 20% picaridin works really well against ticks and mosquitoes and it's odorless it won't damage your clothing and it's not bad for aquatic life so i think it's a much better product than deet for all of those reasons i've researched it you know there's scientific research backing up you know its use against ticks and mosquitoes and i've found that to be the case uh, here and in the philippines and in russia so that's a really good product. Now, as far as the weather itself, 
you want to take advantage of the weather uh, and work with it. So like right now, when we have hot weather, uh, you don't need to go to the mountains or to the beach. Just go to the creek by your house and and get wet. So as long as you're wet and you're in the shade, you're going to be very comfortable. And kids love to play in the creek. That's like a favorite thing for kids to do. Play with the rocks, catch crayfish, catch fish, build dams, make stuff with clay. You know, like most kids, they can spend hours doing that stuff. But only if it's hot outside, right? When, I mean, a lot of kids will do it, frankly, even when it's not that hot outside. But the best time of year, like they'll be perfectly comfortable once they get wet. When it's cold outside, you know, that has its advantages too. Like that's the time when you can wander more off trail. And that's when, you know, ticks are going to be less abundant, right? It's like the least likely that you'll get ticks is in the coldest times of year. When it's cold, that's really good time to be active, right? If you're hiking or running, you're generating a lot of heat. That's the time of year to do fire making, right? Make make your fire. When it's cold outside, kids love fire, but they're going to love it even more when it's cold outside than right now when it's hot out. So there's other things like rain. Rain is, is a little more advanced. I would say, you know, what we like to do on a rainy day is put up a tarp and get a fire going under the tarp. Uh, a storm can be a lot of fun playing out in a rainstorm. That was one of my favorite things growing up is to go outside, especially if it's raining really, really hard. Uh, that can be exciting, but that's going to take a more dedicated parent. Right. Great. This has all been really, really wonderful information. Thank you so much. Do you have any final thoughts before I let you go? I mean, I would say as a parent, think back, you know, to your childhood and how much of your time growing up did you spend playing outside, playing with other kids, playing in nature and think about, you know, your own kids. Are they, are they getting that too? Like, is that something that they're growing up with or if not how can you how can you provide that um if you didn't have that growing up you know what would you be excited for a lot of time with kids they're not necessarily into very goal-oriented adult nature stuff so like if you're like oh i want to go do this five mile hike that can be cool for you as an adult, but sometimes, especially if you have younger kids, like they just want to stay in one little place and play with the rocks and the sticks and the creek. Right. right? But that can vary. If there's something that you love to do out in nature and there's a hike that you're excited for and the kids are on board, then that's great. But if not, like experiment. What are the things that your kids love to do? And then what can you do? during that time maybe you just want to listen to a podcast while your <laughs> kids are playing in the creek or maybe you can you know go to our website we actually have tutorials on how to make primitive pottery how to make fire without matches like the, all these primitive skills you can actually go out there and work on those on your own and then your kids get excited and maybe they can try doing it with you so that's a really fun way to kind of add a whole nother level a whole nother dimension to your outdoor 
experience is when you're start interacting with the landscape and like harvesting things to eat or to create. One other thing I would say is if your kids are not that excited to go out on a hike with you or to do the nature thing that you want to do, find other kids that they can do it with. Like I love to go orienteering with my wife and my kids and, you know, they'll come along with it. But if I can find like their friend and their family comes orienteering with us, now they're going to be super excited to go orienteering with their friends. Okay. So that's another big area of deprivation is like kids today are not getting enough time playing with other kids. And it really can take a lot of effort on our part to make that possible just because of the hectic DC lifestyle. So if you can start scheduling these outdoor adventure experiences with their friends, I think you're going to have uh, a great success with that. I agree. Yes. Thank you so much for mentioning that. I, I learned that early on because I'm a big hiker and my kids, you know, the complaining became unbearable when we would go on family hikes. And I realized if other kids were there, that never happened ever. <laughs> so that's a great tip to invite other families and other children. It's amazing the difference it makes. They don't get tired. They don't complain of being hungry and bored. None of that. Once they're other kids, they're running around having a fantastic time. Absolutely. So thank you again. This has been really helpful and I appreciate your time greatly. Thanks so much. Your website, you mentioned that, the tutorials on your website. Is it naturalleaders.com? Yeah, naturalleaders.com. And yeah, come check out our programs. But we have a lot of free information at the top. It says learn. And so if you click on that, there's a drop down and you can find tutorials on many different kind of survival and, and bushcrafting topics. And these are videos that are specifically created for a young audience to be able to watch and understand, uh, but also for adults and have fun with those and enjoy the great outdoors. Great. Thanks again, Nick. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Take good care.